Hey guys, it's Lindsay. Before we begin this very awesome, intense episode, I wanted to ask if you would take one quick second to rate and review the Living Easy podcast on iTunes. I know that it's not the best thing to do. It's not the most fun thing to do, but it will take literally a minute. If you'll scroll down from this episode or from the homepage of this episode, do a star rating and a review. It would mean so much to us. It helps us to keep going and sharing free content with you guys. We were never promised that life would be easy. Sometimes it is hard and crazy, but when we do life together, it becomes a lot easier and much more fun. I believe in joyful life and happy parenting, healthy marriages, and making perfect memories in imperfect homes. I also love sharing all the secrets about things that have worked for me so that they can help you. On Living Easy, I really like to dig deep. We will laugh together and struggle together. You will hear honest insight and practical tips about things like time management, building a brand, traveling, strengthening your faith in your marriage, and so much more so that you can live life and live it with joy. I'm Lindsay Maestas, and this is the Living Easy Podcast. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay. Welcome back to the Living Easy Podcast. Today I am here with my husband, Jesse. I'm back. He's back. Um, It's actually so interesting. I haven't told you this, but my close friends and family members, I'll tell you who later, but they all say that the episodes with you, with my husband, are their favorite because it seems like I'm most myself. Like they can just tell I'm Lindsay. And that should that be a good sign. It is a good sign. I just thought that was cool that they all felt that way. But today we are going to be talking about a topic that is very popular. It is branching off of a blog post that I wrote a couple of years ago that has been shared and viewed millions of times. I have received my fair share of criticism about it, and I'm going to do a quick disclaimer right before we get started. But I wanted Jesse to come on this one because I just wanted to hear his perspective. I wrote this blog post and have kind of prayed through all of these tendencies that we may have as women to disrespect our spouse or to make them feel a certain kind of way. And I've learned this from other women in my life. I have learned this from my own personal study, my own personal conviction, and then my own personal marriage. And so I was just excited to have you on, Jesse, to hear your thoughts. So here's my disclaimer. These are ways that a spouse may feel disrespected by his wife or his girlfriend, but this is not to say that a man should ever use these as something to throw at his wife when she's not acting a certain way. Because the Bible says to love one another. The Bible says for a man to love his wife like Christ loved the church, and that is the first calling. And then a woman is to submit and to love and respect her husband. And so this is not anything for a husband to use as collateral. This is something for a wife to consider and to know that she is imperfect, that her husband is imperfect, but there are always areas to work on. So with that said, let's jump in. So just as women desire to feel loved, men also desire to feel respected. And respect in every single form speaks volumes to men and often results in them feeling worthy of their wife's affections. And so I have learned a lot in our almost eight years of marriage. It has been a complete learning process for me, a joyful one, a really hard one. But Jesse and I, I think, have grown really comfortable in sharing our shortcomings with one another and allowing the other to tell us what our shortcomings are without a lot of defensiveness. I think emotions get involved so easily. Obviously, if there's something that you're passionate about or something that is frustrating you or something you fight about, it's easy to allow emotions to get the best of us and to use that as means of like getting our way maybe. And so that is my first thing, one way that we disrespect our husbands or spouses or boyfriends without even realizing it is emotional manipulation. And so I just want to ask you guys, do you ever use your moods to control your husband's response? So this is probably the best example. Babe, (laughs) 
when, when you ask me how I am after maybe something happened or like an argument and I say, I'm fine. What does that mean? You're not fine. <laughs> right. But when we use that and we do actually care and everything isn't fine, then we are kind of trying to manipulate the situation. We're trying to get a rise out of him or a certain response out of him, or we want to see how far we can take it and make him beg for us to tell him what's wrong. Or when we do guilt trips or we use the words always and never when we're fighting, which we've talked about in the past that we've really try not to say always and never. And when we do, we're always like, always? Really? Yeah. And we've gotten worse at that lately. Yeah. We were really good for a little while. I know. Um, I think a key component in that is expectations and a lot of the communication. I think a lot of times it's not just the emotional aspect or the manipulation aspect. I can't speak for all guys, but I think sometimes we have stuff going on in our minds on the guy side, if you're like me, I'm I'm introverted. So sometimes I'm in my head a lot. I don't talk a lot. I like to just listen and observe, s- uh, observe yeah. what other people are doing. And for me and Lindsay, that can be difficult because she has an expectation of me wanting to be more of an extrovert and asking you those questions. And, you know, you have some sort of expectation of how I'm supposed to ask you questions or communicate or something like that. Yeah. And I think because of the expectation that creates you emotionally acting a certain way. And I'm, I don't even catch on because I'm a slow caveman. And no, I think, but I don't even think it's the introversion. I think it's just the fact that we're wired so differently that when I feel a certain way or I'm emotional rather than communicating it or feeling like I think I struggle with feeling like you don't even want to hear what I have to say. And so I don't want to go there. And I'm not much of a crier. My closest friends have probably seen me cry like one or two times, but Jesse has become my safe place. I cry to you a lot (laughs) now. And I think sometimes I get in my head to where I feel like you don't want to hear what I have to say, but it isn't true. I think, I mean, would you much rather me communicate, Hey, I didn't like the way that you said this or did this rather than closing you out, giving you the silent treatment, giving you ultimatums. Well, we've kind of discussed this and that's kind of the most important part is the expectation of you wanting me to pull that out of you. Right. And I have no idea what's going on in your mind or where you're thinking or even that you want to talk to me right now because sometimes (laughs) you don't want to (laughs) talk. Yeah. And so I think that's the biggest thing is Instead of expecting me to do that, sometimes, yeah, just leading the charge of like, hey, you know, here's where my mind's at. Here's what's going on. I'm upset about this. This is bothering me. This is on my mind. Instead of, you know, just expecting me to know something is on your mind. Right. Yeah. But it's not even like you're saying quench your emotions, right? Like squash your emotions, suppress them so that I don't see your emotions. You're saying there's a boundary in knowing what you are doing to help your marriage and preserve your marriage versus what you are doing to try and control your marriage or your spouse. Define control. Well, I think as women, (laughs) we can be manipulative. And maybe I'm speaking for myself, you guys. I don't know. But when you want a certain reaction. So for me, I'm used to past relationships that were very damaged in that I always wanted to elicit a response from them. I was used to eliciting a response from them when I would act a certain way and they would get angry and it would get volatile and horrible. And with you, you just are quiet. And so sometimes when I'm really upset or hurt, I want to see that same reaction from you. It's like I'm trying to pull out an emotion and you're not saying suppress your emotions. You're saying use your words to try to help the relationship rather than trying to control me or what you want out of me. True. I I mean, I, I agree with you, but I also think that over communication can hurt too and be detrimental. And it's trying to figure out like where that boundary is or, Mm. you know, what is something that is truly bothering you that you need to talk about or, you know, and so that's not always the case. You can just go pray about 
have time or even talk to a friend about not venting about your husband, but just like, hey, here's where I'm struggling. I'm wanting to react this way. Walk me through. And that is what a good friend does. They don't help you hate on your husband. They help build you up to love your husband better. That is a good friendship. And yeah, I agree. I think there are a lot of moments where you don't need to even say what's on your mind because especially in the heat of the moment, that just turns ugly. Yeah. So next, mothering. Being a mama to your boyfriend or your husband. I think one of the biggest things that I have learned that has been a struggle for me I think there's two. One is that my convictions are not your convictions. What I believe to be true, if it's a gray area, not black and white biblically, is that I can't push that on you. I can't make you believe that. And there are so many areas in our marriage where that has been a real struggle to not play the parent. And for me to choose my words and my actions more wisely, I think because as women, we think that we often know what's best. We try to place that onto our spouse. And what happens eventually is that we drain him of his independence and we drain him of his joy. So what can a woman do, in your opinion, if she thinks she knows what's best for her husband? Say there's a specific issue that's a gray area biblically, and he really believes that it's not a big deal, but it's a strong conviction for her and she's battling like, this can't be right or this doesn't feel right, how can she approach that to try to come to some sort of compromise or understanding in her marriage? I think that's a loaded question. (laughs) Welcome to my life. (laughs) Because (laughs) That's all I ask. It's a very loaded question because it can be so circumstantial in regards to like what the topic is, where that husband is in their walk, where they're at in general and where the couple is at. And I think if it's something that's that important, Me and Lindsay, if you guys don't know, we're very big with community. We love community groups um, where we get together with other couples that Mm. believe in Jesus, love Jesus, and can help point each other in the right direction. There can be men that sometimes feel like their wife is betraying them by like, you know, asking for outside counsel. And that's why for us, do you believe that that is betrayal to ask for outside counsel? Well, no, I don't. I I think that biblically we're supposed to be above reproach. Mm -hmm. So, and we're also supposed to be men in how we're leading our home. Personally, I believe both biblically and, you know, even men that aren't believers or followers or something can be leading their family. And I, I think that the big issue is, is you know, how is that man leading his family? And Mm. you know what I mean? Because you don't ever want to be in a relationship that, you know, the man is completely, the man is manipulating the relationship and he's being aggressive or forceful and his wife doesn't know what to do or, you know what I mean? Like we don't know what the situation is. And so that's why I think it's a loaded question because I think all people, both men and women are supposed to be above reproach. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that allows for better counsel within your relationship. And so if you feel like your husband is really, um, and, and any uh, abuse can be in many fashions. Yeah. It doesn't have to be emotional, physical, but it can yeah. be emotional. It can be all sorts of detrimental routes. But if yeah. you as their spouse and their partner that you're supposed to be going through life with feels like this is very detrimental to your relationship and that's there's an, an inevitable divorce coming because of this or something along those lines, I think that it's better to find some people, whether it's a professional counselor, a therapist, or someone in your church, a community group, or a leader Mm -hmm. to go and talk to about that situation. Even if your spouse feels like you're betraying them or exposing them, maybe is a better word. I think some people don't want to be exposed, but it doesn't have to be publicly. I mean, it can be a very personal, like, hey, here's someone that we trust, we respect. We want to know what you think about this situation. And it's good to get outside eyes and perspective on what's going on in your relationship. And so- Yeah. So what would you say with with that, if a man is walking upright and he's leading his family, but there's something specific that, okay, so say for an example, a gray area is always alcohol, right? We're called biblically not to get drunk. That is sin. But to have a drink- If, say, a wife isn't comfortable with her husband having a drink occasionally, and that's a conviction on her heart, but that's not a conviction on his, and she says, you can't do that because it's wrong, right? That's a struggle for a lot of couples. 
So, but the husband doesn't have that conviction and she's playing mom kind of because she wants to, or playing God really is what it is in placing that conviction on him. What is she to do in that circumstance? I mean, I think it's something regardless of it being a gray area. I think that it's something that should be discussed and talked about still. You know, there may become a point, you know, where it feels like they're nagging or something like that. But I go back to the story where God is the sculptor and we're just the block. You know, we're just this unformed, ugly piece of stone. And if you're some bystander that's walking by and he's there with his hammer and his chisel and you don't know what you're doing, and that's the reality. I mean, you go back to the stories in Job where God's like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth, when I made the measurements in the expanse of the sky? God's asking Job that. God knows what he's doing. He knows how he planned things, and he knows the plan for your life and everyone else's life. And sometimes, because again, I, I do believe in a small community and counsel is very beneficial, and that biblically that is correct. I think that it can, in a way, be detrimental because if God's the sculptor and you walk in between him and say, well, I know what I'm doing, and you start chiseling off corners and pieces, well, it interferes with what God's already dealing with in someone's life or those types of convictions that is something that, you know, maybe you should be praying for. Maybe you should be praying about it and see if where your mindset is. Yeah. And Jesse shared that to our listeners. Jesse shared that story on episode six, which was how to fight a negative mindset and take ownership of your circumstances. But he shared similarly about that. But I love that perspective of it. I think that's really good. And just remembering that God is greater and God is bigger and he has more for your spouse and loves your spouse more than you do. And so entrusting your spouse's heart to God is so freeing and liberating and It allows you to worry more about your own Christianity, worry more about your own walk. And in turn, that focus on Christ and your heart will pour out onto your spouse. Yeah. Okay. Next, using aggression as a wife towards your husband to get your way. When is a time (laughs) that I have used aggression? She's laughing, not me. I no, I really can't think of many, honestly, because I think I'm not super aggressive. That's why I'm interested to hear your answer. I'm not super aggressive. I like totally shut down and I go into a cocoon. But can you give an example of a time when I've used aggression to get my way? Oh, gosh. I mean, I don't know. I can't think of I, I don't really like I don't try to remember. Yeah, I I mean if you guys don't <laughs> I mean, know that's me, really I, good that- <laughs> I I literally if I can throw any negative moment out of my mind, I try to replace it with good. And yeah. so I honestly I can't think of a specific moment. This is not stage you guys. This is a plus. Give me a high five. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Okay. Like, okay. So not to like squash people who are aggressive in marriage because we know that everyone fights differently. Everyone struggles differently. Jesse and I both totally shut down on our own, but it's like two hotheads come together and then they just explode because they're struggling. But what we have to realize as women is that when we use aggression as a means of fighting or trying to get our way, if our husband responds with meekness or with silence, we then make him out to be a coward. And if he responds with anger, we then make him out to be a bully. And so we've learned to take time away after we fight. We are not those people, even though I know it says in the Bible to not let the sun go down on your anger. We have had many nights where we just go to sleep because we both know that we need that time because aggression and handling the issue right at hand does not always lead to the best resolution because physiologically you cannot be logical and emotional at the same time. And I know I was just going to say that like it's, were, it is impossible yeah. for you to be level headed and have a conversation if you are way too emotionally stimulated. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And so it's not, I understand where the Bible's coming from because you don't want to let it set. We've never gone days of arguing because we know that calling to deal with our issues and to talk about them. But 100% of the time, would you agree that when we 
are level-headed and sit down and have a conversation, it goes way better than when we're yelling or fighting or shutting each other off. Yeah. I think it goes back to even just your first topic is knowing the right time to kind of talk about these things. And if it's something that's important enough, at some point, you know, the next day, you will find a time where you're both in a peaceful state to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Next is smothering. So we have an open phone policy in our home. I would say that we are definitely like in one another's business. We know what's going on with the other. We talk on the phone pretty much throughout the day. If we're separated, we try to keep in touch as much as possible. And we overcompensate when it comes to asking hard questions, telling hard truths. Can you talk a little bit about our open phone policy and just what that has looked like in our marriage and how it's made you feel? Well, I think it just comes in different stages. I think we've, we tried implementing this when we were dating, right? Yeah. I mean, the open phone policy was important for us as far as. Which means I could grab Jesse's phone at any time, no matter where it is and take it away and scroll through it and have full access to it. And he can do the same to mine. That's well, what and, I mean. And the glad, yeah. And, and I think we also included like passwords to everything. Yeah. I mean, we felt like that was extremely important since we were dating. I mean, if you're dating, you should be dating someone with the intentions of marrying them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you guys, we merged our bank accounts when we were still dating. Yeah. <laughs> That's we're pretty little, cool. No, little, we were engaged, but we merged yeah, our we bank accounts engaged, yeah. before we were married. Yeah. So we're, we're big about that, but I mean, Jesus, union. Jesus explains it as grafting. I mean, that's really intense verbiage. So I don't know if you have ever seen trees where people graft another tree into another one, but it's it's a really like gruesome process to the tree. They have to open it up and then graft it into the tree in order for it to take or skin graft to take or skin graft. I mean, all that stuff. Yeah. So, but like Instagram, Facebook, I mean, all that stuff we had each other's passwords for. And it was not so you could just constantly just be peering into your spouse because you also want to have a place of trust and understanding of your spouse. But we always had that open door since yeah, we were dating. That's a good way. It's not voyeuristic to where I want to see what Jesse's doing every moment of every day. But I want... Which she had moments of that. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we were first dating, I was obsessed with you. But we will go. We'll go there another time. We'll tell our whole story one day. But... It's not that desire. It's the it's like that feeling of knowing that I have full access. It brings this freedom to know that like whatever he's looking at right now, if I wanted to know, I could grab his phone away from him and be like, hey, jokingly, of course, but like, give me your phone. Let's look at that together. It builds that trust. And I think a lot of people might think, oh my gosh, that means you're so distrusting of one another. And granted, we both have past dating histories that were messy and created distrust in our hearts, but more than anything, it has created so much trust to where we don't even touch each other's phones now. Like we don't feel the need. And so that's just encouragement for you guys, because I think that's a really beautiful part of our marriage. It's something that we both feel a lot of peace about. And we both have grown in a lot because it wasn't always easy for you when I would grab your phone. And that's why I want to get to the smothering. If we are continuously obsessing and asking and allowing our distrust to take over and to consume us, then we're not entrusting our spouse to Jesus. We're trying to mold them to us and what we desire of them. And you guys, truly, if either party in a marriage wants to have an affair, they're going to have an affair. There's no amount of snooping that anyone can do to stop it. It's about building up that trust and that understanding from the get-go and desiring to fight for your marriage. That if you feel like there's an issue going on, then like Jesse said, get involved in community, go to an elder of the church, have those really hard conversations, pray for his heart and entrust him to God and knowing that he's taking care of him. But I think one of the biggest verses that has really helped me is Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. And it says, be always humble, gentle, and patient. Show your love by being tolerant with one another. Do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives by means of the peace that binds you together. So first, it calls us to be humble, gentle, and patient. 
in anything with emotional manipulation or smothering or aggression, those are not humble, gentle, patient characteristics that we're called to have as believers. Then we're called to be tolerant with one another, which means dealing with the other person's junk. Like we've learned to be tolerant with the differences that we have with one another, even if we don't totally agree with the way that we handle it. And then it says, do your best to preserve the unity. And I think that's so important. Do your best to preserve the unity. Are you doing your best to preserve the unity when you're smothering your spouse and distrusting them and asking them a ton of questions and and not allowing them any source of freedom to be with their friends? Because if there is that level of distrust at the foundation, it is all going to rise up into everything that you do in your marriage. And if there are big issues and you're choosing not to handle those in any other way than smothering him, your relationship is just going to dissolve. Yeah, that was one item I was going to bring up. Even though you're sharing passwords, bank accounts, like whatever, whatever means you de- you guys decide is comfortable for you. But at some point, whether you're the guy or the girl, if you're obsessing about following their stuff, at some point, it can be detrimental to your relationship. Because you can come off as irrational or nonsensical because then you start obsessing and asking questions about who's this, who's this, who's this? Yeah. And you're like, that's my auntie or that's my <laughs> that's my cousin. Like, you know, it, it I can't. saw a video on that where some girl was like, please stop texting my boyfriend. And then the girl was like, this is his sister. And then yeah. that's just destroyed. <laughs> and, and it's true, though. And I, and I think that's where you always have to find a healthy balance in everything. And that's just extremely important. Yeah. Okay. Next is criticizing. So Ephesians 429 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So wives, ladies, girlfriends, do your words more often than not build up your husband or spouse Or do your words more often than not tear down your spouse? So I think one effect of criticism is that it makes your spouse feel like they're never going to be good enough for you. And I think this is one that we can vulnerably talk about a little bit. I am a futurist. I'm always thinking about what's next. I'm always wanting more. And discontentment is a huge struggle of mine. And Jesse, I feel like that burden is kind of laid on to you and feeling like if something isn't going right in our marriage, or if I feel like I want things to be better and I bring that up or I tell you how you can be a better husband in not the nicest ways, you can feel like you're never going to be enough. And that even if I were to voice 10 positive things a day, that that one criticism would stick in your mind. Yeah, I think it's true because I feel sometimes in those moments when they happen, I feel like I'm trying really hard. And so when- Yes, this is so common. When I'll bring up like, oh, I'm struggling. I feel like our marriage isn't doing as well as I want it to. He's like, dang, I thought we were doing really good. (laughs) And it's back and forth. Sometimes (laughs) I'm feeling like things are great and she feels like they're not and and vice versa. Yeah, I think that for me, that's the biggest thing that, can make me feel like the criticizing is too much or wasn't beneficial for our relationship at the time is because I feel like I'm doing as much as I can with the ability and time and you know what I mean? Like everything that you're given. Yeah. And there's some sort of something that is still, you know, I don't know, like a blemish that's still there and you're bringing up that blemish and I don't know if maybe I saw the blemish and I'm just like pushing it under the rug. So I don't know if it's good or bad either. It's just sometimes you try to focus on, you know, moving forward and staying positive. And when that's being brought up, you're like, yeah, I know it's there, but I'm doing the best I can, you know, now and with everything else that we have and Mm -hmm. stuff. So I think sometimes that's where the, I don't, are we on the same topic? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we're not on the same thing. So with criticism though, when I use my words to build you up, This is what I have learned that has just massively impacted me. And it is the most commonsensical thing in the world. But when I bring up the good things about my husband and I tell you, like, 
dang, you're doing such a good job with the boys or you're doing such an amazing job with the house or I mean, whatever, like I'm so proud of you and your job that encourages you to do better. Right. And for some reason, we're so twisted in thinking that if I criticize the areas that you're not reaching my expectations, which again, it comes back to expectations, you're not reaching my expectations and I tear you down, you don't have a desire to be better at those things. Well, sometimes you can, you can almost feel winded. Yeah. Like I had the wind knocked out of me and now it's hard because you have to take a moment, recollect yourself in order to move forward when someone's done that. Yeah. So, and that's the same for like, their physical appearance. Because when I am building you up like, hey, you're going to the gym. Okay. So this is a struggle. We could talk about the gym. <laughs> the gym. It's like the arch of nemesis. I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> it's the arch of nemesis of our marriage. I love when Jesse goes to the gym because it makes him happier. It makes him just like just such a joyful person. And it is freeing for you. It allows you to feel relaxed and refreshed. And I love how he looks when he goes to the gym, but I hate that the gym steals him from me. And so I'm always like, oh, okay, this is, I'm just being vulnerable, you guys. I'm like, oh, you're at the gym. And I get quiet because I'm thinking he prefers to be at the gym more than he prefers to be (laughs) at home with me. Gym ruined. (laughs) And so it's like this battle because I know what it does. And so, It's actually really helped me to say, oh, I love that you're going to the gym because it makes you feel so good. And like I can tell the difference in your personality and in your joy and just in your spirit when you go to the gym. And that helps to retrain my mind to know, okay, the gym is a good thing. It is not the devil against our marriage stealing my husband from me. It actually is positive. Yeah. If you're like me, I struggle with encouraging and all those other things like verbally communicating those with you so sometimes for me i i mean i don't always need the The affirmation affirmation yeah Yeah. i kind of chug along doing what i'm doing most of the time and content doing that so if you're that type of person for me in the criticizing part like it helps when like she doesn't skip a beat when she calls me and she's like where are you and i'm at the gym you know sometimes there's either a pause. If there's a pause, I'm like, great, I'm going home right now. <laughs> yes. Or if there's not, like when you don't even like hesitate and you're just like, oh, cool. Like, you know, how's your day? Or even continue talking. It helps not feel like I'm being criticized for like doing that or something mm. like that. That's again, know? the emotional manipulation too, I think. Because I think I know even if it's subconsciously. I'm that- learning a lot about, <laughs> this is good. And we should talk about these things all the time yeah, on here. Yeah. That's why we're here. But that when I pause, I know it's eliciting a response from you of discomfort that you know I don't want you to be there, right? Or else why yeah. would I do it? Yeah. And so that's a way for me to emotionally manipulate the situation when instead I could prepare myself even beforehand for that conversation, which it's not a big deal. You guys are probably thinking I'm crazy. Everyone makes fun of me because I want Jesse to myself all the time. I just like, we've even had community group conversations about this where I'm like, yeah, he gets one Sabbath day, but I want him for two Sabbath days to be home with me. And everyone laughs and thinks it's funny, but I'm totally serious about it that I just like him. I must home. be really fun. I just you don't are, know it. You are. You're really fun. And so it's hard for me to like share my time with anything else, which is very selfish and just very selfish. I'm sorry for being selfish. That's very selfish. selfish. You're good. You're good. (laughs) He's making a face. Okay. Next is undermining. So this is really big in families with children. Undermining your spouse as a father often will teach your children that he's not competent or that he's not worthy of being respected. And this is something we see so often in sitcoms where the mother has it all together and she takes care of the home and the dad is just this total idiot. We've talked about this. Yeah. On the show we've talked about this. No, no. We've talked about like when we're watching a show and we're always like, they make the dads like they're total idiots and they're totally incompetent. And I just pray that that is not the real story. I think it's sad. Like for me, it bothers me because I believe wholeheartedly that women are extremely strong and they do take on a lot. I mean, we, we have a friend that was like staying home for a little while with his kids. And he told me he would rather take on 
three ten, full-time no, jobs. No, he's, he said 10 full-time labor jobs than staying home with the kids. Like, <laughs> I mean, women do so much. And I know, like, there's days where I stay home, home with the kids and it is really hard. But it makes me so sad that, you know, I don't know. Like, Does that, society that portrays- so many men must be acting mm. in a way that this is obviously like perceived like by yeah, people so it's in the public. Yeah, not even just a portrayal, a false portrayal. This is just what has potentially happened. I, in I homes. think, yeah, I think that enough people have maybe seen it that it's like an internal joke. And it almost yeah. seems like on any TV show you watch today, men either with their kids or with their spouse at home, they're like this you know, lazy person that doesn't do anything, doesn't help around the house, doesn't help with the kids, like doesn't do any sort of responsibilities. And they're like ignorant. Mm. And I just, it to me, it's so sad. And I feel like men, women, like we can all do better. And we, we need to constantly strive to be better people, be better versions of ourselves. Like you hear that all the time. And yeah. I think that if that is some sort of, picture of what men are out there like we really need to step it up like we need to be I'm, I mean I'm not perfect at this but there's many days where I'm in you know I'm exhausted you're exhausted we're all like but the best picture I know of is if you're doing a labor job with someone and you if you both have a mindset of relieving the labor of each other, mm-hmm. how much quicker are you going to get to the completion of that job? And how much easier is it going to be on both people? Yeah. Like if you're both working towards that goal of lightening the burden right. upon each other. And so I just feel like both spouses should be doing this. But if the husband is supposed to be this alpha male, like tough guy, like <laughs> go home and help. And like be a man. Yeah, be a man. Like step up. <laughs> Seriously, if this is like a picture of what men are like we it's sad and yeah. i think that men need to step it up and we need to be helping more even though we're tired and even though like i'm i'm selfish with my time and i want free time and i want to be able to read or play video games or watch a movie like or hang out with a buddy like i want to do those things but first of all we have to be taking care of responsibilities and yeah. so yeah i just i I love, totally rabbit trail. No, but maybe. I love that perspective from a man's perspective because I think somebody could hear this and think I'm overruling my husband's decisions or I'm undermining his decisions because he's not respectable. And so I, I think it's cool for you to have that voice to call men up and to tell them to live above reproach and to not be society's very, very low standard of a man, but to actually be a man. And then I can respond now with, as a wife, we need to fight as a mother to bring unity to our family, to be understanding, to not bring discord and conflict into our homes when our spouse isn't doing something the way that we think they should do them. And Jesse and I discipline differently. That's a whole episode for another day. But we've had to learn not to overrule one another. If I say no, that means Jesse says no. If Jesse says no, that means I say no, even if we don't necessarily understand the reasoning behind it. If we disagree, we go to a separate room and have that conversation, not in front of our children where I'm disrespecting your decision in front of the kids and vice versa. Because we're on the same team, you guys. You are on the same team with your spouse. And the more you disrespect your husband in front of his children, one, not only does that cause a man to just feel like an aunt, because respect is so important to them, but it's also giving him no other option but to disengage and just leave things to us. And then you're going to be mad because they've left everything to you, but they're like, well, you do everything better. You load the dishwasher better. You discipline better. You do all these things better. I load the dishwasher better. Okay. He does load the dishwasher (laughs) way better. But if we're constantly undermining their rules with the children or undermining their discipline or whatever it might be, our children see that and they lose respect. And you don't want that. You don't want your husband to lose respect. He is the head of the household in the most beautiful way, not in a manly egotistical way, but in a way that like you have the freedom to have someone who loves your family lead your home. So just Fight the desire. Or in, in a servant's way. I mean, what do they say? The best leader is is the servant. He's yeah. the one that is leading the charge in their actions. Yeah. And I think that's what's important about 
being the head of the house is being active and serving your family, being there for them and available. Amen. Love that. Next is lusting and flirting with people of the opposite sex. So this I'm speaking to anyone who emotionally flirts or has emotional relationships or emotional affairs, a woman who physically bats her eyelashes, who wants to be seen and given attention when she is married. The Bible says a whole lot about this, but a few verses are Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a person with lustful intent has already committed adultery in their hearts. And then 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. So this is something that a lot of people might not struggle necessarily with physically, in having physical affairs or having physical flirting opportunities. But emotional opportunities can arise at any moment with social media. Even like that emotional porn where you're watching romantic movies, we've talked about that before. Just keeping that reined in and really remaining obedient to Christ and what he has called you to, which is purity, because the desires of the flesh are not from him. And that is something that we have to flee. Scripture says to flee from that, to run from it as fast as you can. So if you have a man who's giving you some sort of attention or just talking really nicely to you, that so quickly becomes something so dangerous because you're tapping your toe in the water and testing those waters just to see what it feels like. And that is just such a dangerous place to be. Next, one thing I love that I heard from a teaching is that when we marry our spouses, they become our only type. You are your husband's type and he is yours because you are married. So hinting at the attractiveness of someone else, even in Hollywood or on the TV screen, it's just, it's degrading and it's disrespectful. And your eyes should be for your husband and husbands, your eyes should be for your spouse. Next, avoiding issues, holding grudges and keeping a record of wrongs rather than talking things out will lead to bitterness and resentment. So what, Jesse, would you say in avoiding issues when you know that it's the right time to talk, but you don't want to bring it up? And this might be more for your perspective because you don't like conflict. I mean, I really don't like conflict, but you really, 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 really don't like conflict. (laughs) So from your perspective, avoiding issues, how can that create bitterness and resentment and keeping record of wrongs that shouldn't be there? Obviously, anytime you're holding a record of wrong, I mean, it could, it could blow up, I think is what the main issue is with people doing that. However, I would say if there's something that is consistently on your mind, and it's the same topic or something, that's something you should definitely be praying about, you know, when when is the right moment going to be to talk about this, that my spouse is in a good mood. And it's hard. I, I think that timeline is It's almost one of those fantasy things too, because I think sometimes even if you're someone that's trying to play it smart and you're like, well, I'm just going to bring this up at the right time. But when you're having a really good time, it's hard to like want to bring up something like that to talk about. Like on date night. Yeah, because then (laughs) it turns into something and and then it could spiral the opposite way because then you're like, oh my gosh, we're finally having a good time or, you know, something. And, you know, now we've got another issue. So... I get that, but I think, you know, maybe not on date night is (laughs) any other time, but date night. But there's times when you can find a time frame to talk about something that's important. And if it's something consistently that is the same topic, like it obviously needs to be brought up. Otherwise, at some point, again, it's it's going to inevitably explode on your relationship. But one huge thing is that once it's been brought up and once it's been forgiven, it needs to be left there. This is so hard for people to do, especially if it's a huge wrong, like an affair or conversation. But once it is forgiven, because you have been forgiven of so much by a God who loves you and sees your every sin and every wrong, that once we choose to forgive, that needs to be left. It's not that we're forgetting what they've done and that we're unwise or not discerning about certain situations, but that we've chosen to forgive. And 1 Corinthians 13 is something that we hear a lot at weddings, but I think it's so important to reread over it 
all of the time. First Corinthians 13, four says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Keeping record of wrongs will only destroy your marriage. I feel like the enemy tries to use the wrongdoings of our spouses from the past. And it's like we keep a little tally of, oh, how many times have you done this? Or how many times have you wronged me in this way? So then when something small or minor happens, we already have that tally, that record of wrongs in our hearts. And that one small thing is the catalyst and it makes everything explode. Atom bomb. Yeah. And so you have to let it go. Like leave it there when it's forgiven, you put it where it belongs, which is in the past. And the next time, this is our rule, is that when we have that conversation about something that may be similar, we are not allowed to bring up past instances because it only makes it explode again. And if that wrong has already been forgiven, it is not fair or kind or loving to bring it up again. Well, and I think it's also just extremely draining yeah. For the spouse too to be like, oh my gosh, I thought we worked past that or I thought we were past this. Right. And just another good test I heard in a teaching one time was if you feel like you don't have, you know, any issues or you're the perfect one, that verse that she just read, if you replace your name mm -hmm. with love and it, it's pretty convicting. I've done that to myself and it literally makes me cry. I'm not even exaggerating. I cried the first time I did it because I felt so selfish and unloving, but it really redirected my thoughts to a better place. Number nine is taunting. Do you nag? Scripture says in Proverbs that a continual dripping on a rainy day and a nagging wife are the same. And it also says it's better to live in a desert land <laughs> than with a quarrelsome woman. But Proverbs 12, 4 says an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Nagging is a struggle. I think it is a big struggle for a lot of women. We've touched on a multitude of other ways that we can disrespect our husband, but nagging is one that like the Bible says, rots their bones. Like it literally just causes them to deteriorate from the inside because it's so exhausting and they feel like they're never going to win. If we're taunting or nagging, we're, it's like we're trying to provoke our spouse. We're pushing their buttons for the sake of attention or to get a response. And again, that goes back to the building up and the tearing down. Lastly, envy of other marriages. So contentment is huge. And sometimes we feel the need to fix, fix, fix our spouse to make them just like this other wife's spouse or this other woman's relationship. You want yours to look the same. You want your husband to be as romantic or as physically fit or as fun. or And you then feel the need to make him feel less than, even if it's not intentionally because you're sharing words you're sharing passive comments about this other marriage and the way they do things and how they have date nights like this, or that's ultimately going to make him want to give up because he's not enough for you. And the more time and energy that we're wasting comparing our marriages to that of other people and telling our spouse who he isn't or who he needs to be, the more we're missing out on the beautiful quirks and the gifts and the things that you have been given in the spouse that God has specifically designed for you. Yeah, I mean, every relationship is different. The grass is green, rewater it. For me, the comparison can help drive me to be better. It can create discontentment. Mm. But for me personally, discontentment can sometimes be good it's because it helps force. me motivate myself. It can help me motivate myself to try to better myself in yeah. other areas. And I think the comparison also on the opposite end of seeing someone that's really screwing it up in my eyes. So what I think you're saying is that you admire these people. I don't think you're envying them. I think you're admiring what they have and that you're wanting to live up to that potential. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that, yeah, you're probably right. But yeah, ultimately, 
there are going to be people who are doing it better than you. And so rather than feeling discontent and trying to fix your spouse, instead work on your own heart and allow yourself to come to a place where you're saying, I want to be better. I want my marriage to be better. And that always, friends, begins with you. It all begins with you. And so I just want to encourage you guys today. This is not a list of legalistic, religious, like do not. This is just intended to be an eye-opening message coming from someone who has struggled with so much of this and who wants to be better and who wants other people to be better and for their marriages. I want all of your marriages, you listeners right now, I know I see your numbers every week. I don't see you individually, but I talk to so many of you and I love you guys. Like I truly, truly love you guys. I pray for you. I talk to Jesse about you all the time. And we desire for your marriages to be stronger, to be grown. And so I just want to encourage that the reason I'm focusing specifically on you is because I know that you're the ones listening. And therefore, you can work on your relationship with Jesus. You can work on your heart and allow that to flow into your marriage. And working on it, how you know best to work on it. Not just taking our story Mm -hmm. and trying to implement it into your story. Right. But taking ideas. And for us, I know it's always just going back to the comparison idea of seeing different people and integrating into your relationship or your marriage, what is going to be most beneficial for you and your spouse that help you. Yeah. And I, and I think all of it. Yeah. Cause it could turn into the grass is greener situation of trying to enforce something that might not be best for you guys are most are the most beneficial for you but it's always good to take on different perspectives and implement that in the best way that you would know because you are personally going through your relationship to make it better to make it stronger and to continue to encourage each other yeah amen that's so true All right. We love you guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you gained anything from it, if you enjoyed it, if you found it entertaining, whatever it might be, screenshot this episode and tag us. And as I asked at the beginning of the episode, if you would take one second to rate and review and subscribe to the podcast, I'm hoping to have Jesse on more often. I've got him on twice already, which is such an accomplishment for me, you guys. But please take a second to subscribe, rate, and review us um, on iTunes. Just scroll down from this episode or the homepage of this episode, and you can do that there. I've also linked the blog post that I wrote originally that was shared all across the world um, for you to view. And just share this with friends, family, wives who need some encouragement or marriages that need some refreshment. And we will talk to you next time. We love you guys. See you guys. Bye.